Book Club members to this episode of Fat Girl Book Club. For this episode, we read the book Big Girl by Kelsey Miller. Uh, What a great book. This was such a great book. Uh, But before I jump into telling you how that book ended up onto the episode, I'm going to apologize right now because I have no idea if you can hear it. But an ice cream truck has just literally stopped in front of my house and there's like, I don't know, 10 people or something waiting to get ice cream. And so the the music is going. Yeah, the music is going. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's it, hashtag podcaster life, right? Having to get this intro done so that I can get the editing done so that I can get this episode complete to have it out to you guys on time. And then something like that happens and I sit here and go, okay, there's a lot of people wanting to get ice cream from this dude. And I can sit here and wait for 10 minutes or I can just do this intro because it's just an intro and you're going to uh, still be able to hear me over the sound of the music. Sounds like it's going, moving along now. So, <laughs> so sorry about that. Or maybe not. Maybe what you need to hear right now is an ice cream truck. Maybe it, this is your cue to go out and get yourself some ice cream. Okay. So this book, Big Girl by Kelsey Miller. Uh, I send most of my guests an info email about all the different books that we've done on the show, a little bit about the show, and a list of books that I would love to do if anyone has any interest. And this book, Big Girl by Kelsey Miller, has been on that list for quite a while. I don't even know how I picked it up, but like we are talking years that I've had this book. And uh, not that long ago, Chelsea Levy, who is my guest on this week's episode invited me to come onto her Instagram and she runs this really great eating support group. And so we just sat and had a really wonderful conversation and, and the people that were on, uh, left some comments and some questions and it was just so nice. Like I, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, if that is something that interests you being involved with eating support groups or just participating in eating support groups, check out Chelsea's group because it, I really enjoyed myself. Uh, anyway, we get to chatting and because as you know, um, I'm a book person and we get onto the topic of books and Chelsea goes to her bookshelf and she starts kind of listing off some of the books that have been really impactful for her. And she says, Big Girl by Kelsey Miller. And I said, oh, I haven't read that one yet. It's been on my list forever. And so of course we agree to do this episode on that book because I was quite excited that I had found someone who would want to talk to that talk about that book with me. So I started reading this memoir and I am blown away by how great this memoir really is. Uh, Kelsey Miller has a disordered relationship as a lot of, of us do and have had with diet culture. And in order to break free of this, uh, she decides that she needs help. So she gets a help. She gets help from an intuitive eating um, nutritionalist, dietitian, and she gets help from a uh, sounds like health at every size aligned trainer. So that's that's where she's getting help from. And the focal point in this book is especially around eating. There's a little bit in discussion around. Uh, movement, body movement, but it it is more focused on the eating aspect and intuitive eating and her journey with intuitive eating. And I found this to be a really interesting read because I related a lot to Kelsey's journey and what she was going through in terms of trying to break free from diet culture, trying to break free from the thoughts that diet culture creates Uh, So it's not just this idea that, okay, I need to stop dieting because that's important, right? I I think when, when, when we get into body liberation, that moment when we decide that we are done dieting can be a very pivotal moment for us. And I know I remember when I, like I can point to exactly when I finally said enough is enough on dieting. But here's the tricky thing is that dieting doesn't just mean I am not going to do 
uh, name XYZ diet anymore. It, it doesn't just mean that. And as we start to realize what it means to give up dieting, that's when we begin to realize how much, how much of a disordered relationship we have with eating because of the diets that we did. For instance, okay, I'm not going to diet anymore. I'm not going to do keto. I'm, I'm, I've just, I'm done. I'm not going to do that. Uh, but you know, I would like to eat sensibly. So I am going to, uh, you know, I'm going to have to have every day when I make my lunch, I'm going to have yogurt in there and I'm going to have, um, my vegetables and I'm going to have like having these specific requirements about what things it is that you should be eating and still creating morality around food. This is a little bit more of a difficult thing to do. It is a little harder to begin to extract this, this conversation with yourself around food and allowing it to be neutral to the point where if you eat potato chips, you are not feeling bad and pushing yourself to eat vegetables later because you feel like you need to off balance things. Food just becomes neutral. This is a very difficult concept, not only to um, bring into your life, but even to just wrap your head around. And so this discussion within this memoir was really interesting because Kelsey, the protagonist in the book, is really taking you through that journey of not only beginning to understand what, you know, that, that she's done with dieting, but what intuitive eating means and how she can bring that into her life on a regular basis. And what's really interesting about this memoir is they get to a point, and we're going to talk about this in my conversation with Chelsea, is that they get to this point in the book where you think the book should be done because everything is wrapped up in a bow. You get this feeling like she's very much got a handle on this whole intuitive eating thing. And then everything falls apart. And I love that part because this is where, this is the messiness that is life. And this is the messiness of the journey that is intuitive eating. And so this was a great read. I I really highly recommend this read. And it's not just a basics beginner read either. I would say even as someone who's been on an intuitive journey, intuitive eating journey for a while, this is actually a, a pretty profound read. Okay, before I get too much further, I would like to thank my patrons. Thank you so much to Pascal, to Ace, to Larissa, and to Jen. It means so much to me that uh, we are connected in this way. Uh, I want to give a couple of trigger warnings for this episode. Uh, They are pretty minimal, but we do discuss disordered exercise and we do discuss uh, WW. So not really in great length, but I just want to throw it out in case that there is someone that thinks that this may be a little bit triggering for them today. And if that's the case, please, please, please uh, get in touch with your own self-care and make sure that you either avoid listening to this episode right now um, or avoid listening to this episode altogether. It's important to take care of yourself. Uh, Okay. I would like to do three more things before we actually get this show on the road. First, uh, because we are discussing intuitive eating, I think it's really important that I just run through the basics of the 10 principles of intuitive eating. Uh, Jump ahead about a minute if these are, uh, if you're old hat with these. Uh, These principles uh, were put together into a book called Intuitive Eating. I believe it's on its fourth edition now. Uh, Evelyn Triboulet and Elise Resch were the authors of that book. And Uh, these 10 principles are not meant to be done in any kind of order. They are just meant to be kind of guidelines. And I'm not going to go into detail on any of them, but, uh, the idea around it is that we are going to be not dieting. So the first one is to reject the diet mentality. Um, you know, basically these are the things that, uh, trigger you to diet. It's getting rid of that, getting rid of that, that diet culture idea that, that, that losing weight is, um, possible to do quickly, easily, permanently, and becoming aware of all the kind of research and literature around this. 
The second one is to honor your hunger. So this is recognition of your hunger signals. Uh, the next one is to make peace with food, giving yourself complete unconditional permission to eat. The next one is to challenge the food police. This is, you know, these thoughts in your head around uh, whether or not all these different diet rules that we have that we don't even have to put under the umbrella of a particular diet. Just all these things that the culture has told us is quote unquote good for us to do around food. Uh, number five is to discover the satisfaction factor. This is one I feel I particularly need to be working on, uh, is finding satisfaction in the food that you're eating. So not having that feeling when you're done of, uh, I need something else, you know, uh, the next one is to feel your fullness. This is getting in touch with the, the cues that your body is giving you when you are full enough. Uh, number seven is to cope with your emotions with kindness. Uh, this is around the concept of emotional eating, although uh, emotional eating itself is not really something that I that I feel quite exists. And I, and I feel like the intuitive eating principles, particularly this fourth edition, goes into a little better in that it's, um, you know, very much about making sure that uh, we give ourselves the self-care we need to handle the, the emotions that we have and that eating and food can be a part of that self-care, but not maybe the only tool in that toolkit. Uh, the next one is about respecting your body. Uh, this is really around body diversity and body image. Uh, the next one is movement. And this is about, you know, having some intuitive movement in your life. And the last one is called honor your health. And it's about gentle nutrition, uh, which, you know, it's an interesting one. Intuitive eating has its own, its own thing. Um, and so, you know, we don't get into that too much into this, uh, discussion that I have with Chelsea. Uh, but it is, uh, you know, around making some choices that have to do with, what feels best for your body and the nutrients that your body needs. Okay. So that was the first thing I wanted to do. The second thing I want to do is to tell you a little bit about the book. Uh, so the book is called big girl, how I gave up dieting and got a life by Kelsey Miller. And I'm going to read the description off of Amazon. At 29, Kelsey Miller had done it all crash diets, healthy diets, and nutritionist prescribed eating plans which are diets that you pay more money for. She's been fighting her unthin body since early childhood and after a lifetime of failure finally hit bottom. No diet could transform her body or her life. There was no shortcut to skinny salvation. She dug herself into this hole and now it was time to climb out of it. With the help of an intuitive eating coach and fitness professionals, she learned how to eat based on her body's instincts and exercise sustainably without obsessing over calories burned and thighs gapped. But with each thrilling step towards a healthy future, she had to contend with the painful truths of her past. Big Girl chronicles Kelsey's journey into self-loathing and disordered eating and out of it. This is a memoir for anyone who's dealt with a distorted body image, food issues, or a dysfunctional family. It's for the late bloomers and the not yet bloomed. It's for everyone who's tried and failed and felt like a big fat loser. So basically everyone. <laughs> and yeah, it is pretty funny. It is a, it is a pretty funny read. All right. Let me tell you about my guest. I'm so excited about my guest. Chelsea Levy, she, her is a certified intuitive eating counselor and registered dietitian nutritionist. She earned her master of science degree from Hunter college and completed her dietetic internship at the city of New York school of public health in New York city. Chelsea is committed to utilizing health at every size principles in her approach to nutrition therapy. She works with individuals struggling with disordered eating and eating disorders with a focus on weight inclusive medical nutrition therapy, body image healing, and intuitive eating. Chelsea also has special interests in treating individuals with diabetes and polycystic ovary syndrome, PCOS, along with folks who are in larger bodies and those who identify as transgender or non-binary. She believes it is vital to provide care relevant to an individual's culture, ethnicity, and overall identities. Chelsea hosts a collaborative space for the exploration of food and body healing through creativity and compassion. 
Chelsea is a member of the International Federation of Eating Disorder Dietitians, the International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals, the Association for Size Diversity and Health, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, and the Hayes Registry. Before her focus in nutrition science, Chelsea worked in art production and has a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Photography from the School of Visual Arts in New York City. In her spare time, Chelsea enjoys live music, practicing yoga, and meditation. This was a really interesting discussion, and I just know that you're going to enjoy it so much because I really did. I feel like Chelsea is just so easy to talk to and very relaxed, and I feel like we we cover a fair amount of ground from this book and from just life. So I hope you enjoy this discussion about Big Girl by Kelsey Miller with Chelsea Levy. Hi, Chelsea. Welcome to Fat Girl Book Club. Hey, Jen. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad you're here. And I'm excited that we're going to talk about Big Girl by Kelsey Miller. This has been a book that's been on my to-be-read pile for a very, very long time. So I'm glad I finally got an opportunity to read it. But I want to start with a little bit about you. So can you talk a little bit about what your journey has been like in terms of body image, body liberation, fat activism? Yeah, absolutely. So let's see, I am in a fat body for those of you who don't know me and you're listening, can't see me. And I live in New York City where I studied um, nutrition as a career changer. And uh, as a lot of folks in, I guess, health space might know, it's weight centric. And so going into that, I had already found an intuitive eating counselor for myself before starting the program to become a dietitian nutritionist. And so I had a unique experience for one going into that realm, knowing all this stuff I had to sort of, I had done a, a bit of unlearning and basically had to sort of internalize that I have to keep learning this stuff in a weight centric modality in order to get my degree and then and then unlearn it again <laughs> so it was such a, a wild stepping stone but I have you know I had decided to go back to school because I thought I could change my body and help other people doing it which is super not altruistic and and pretty common base for a lot of people who go into nutrition uh, but my last stepping stone which is really a uh, I don't know, I was going to say a godsend, although I'm not a religious person, but just something spiritually universally connected that I needed that shift sort of crossed upon this uh, intuitive eating nutritionist dietitian who opened up my world. And I had definitely gone to pursue weight loss at the time. And I was convinced that because I really had hit diet rock bottom for myself that I was willing to try something else, but in the back of my mind, oh, okay, like I could still maybe lose weight with intuitive eating, but pretty quickly into it, I was pretty sold. And of course that doesn't change the fact that I wanted to try to change my body, but I was willing to give up on trying, even though there was a mentality behind it. So sort of putting that on the back burner so that I could really like let myself heal my relationship to food and body. And while I didn't have an eating disorder in the clinical sense, I certainly had your classic disordered orthorexic mentality around food and body as we're in a culture, a diet culture (laughs) veil upon us. So everything was just rooted in that. And as somebody who had weight cycled their way to a larger body than I had even started with, I really, yeah, really sort of came to terms with the weight science, the sort of piece of undernourishment and less is more as really oppressive and not really working for me. So yeah, I did that for a year before I started my (laughs) dietetics program. And I would say now let's see that was 2017 six years ago about give or take 
Mm -hmm. uh, I'm still on my body liberation journey. You know, I definitely um, am more liberated than people who are still living in diet culture. But I would say there's always healing to be done. If you live in a body in this culture, in this world, there's always healing to be experienced. So when you found your intuitive eating counselor and then you decided to go to school, did you stay with your intuitive eating counselor through that time? Or were you like, yeah. okay, I'm going to you know you kept, that must have been feeling like you were straddling two worlds. Completely. And I still see them to this day for support. A lot of the dynamic at this point feels like supervision as a clinician, but also there's still healing to be done around my own internalized fat phobia that may come up. And I think I really owe it to my clients in my private practice to, to be really in touch with whatever's coming up for me uh, to be as liberated as possible so that I can be there for them in, in the best way. Wow. Wow. That's, yeah. that's really, that's something that is pretty wild to, to go through that experience. But I think I'll bet you, so I, I've had a number of dietitians on the show and nor the normal course of action is to, to take the dietetics, get that certification and then realize that there's something else out there and then kind of find out about anti-diet and, and intuitive yeah. So the fact that you started before is such a different trajectory that it's so interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's the complete opposite of your typical yeah. Yeah, dietetic student going back to school with that medical weight centric medical model and not knowing what, that health at every size exists, that a weight inclusive model exists, a whole paradigm shift could be the way. Yeah. In some ways it was, it was just like, oh, it's okay. There's another way out there that's more ethical and I'm just going to put my head down in it. And then other way times that it just felt so oppressive um, to my future way of working, but also to my pers personhood uh, in my body as a large person feeling attacked in the classroom. <sighs> so that was in a, in a way, my intuitive eating counselor was my support through that. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's lovely that you had that. That's amazing. Yeah. That's really, really, really cool. Life-changing. Really. Uh, this book that we're going to talk about very much, I feel like there's got to be so, so many parallels because this woman finds intuitive eating and she spends a year trying to kind of um, document really what her experience was like. Uh, so when you and I first talked about this book, it was on your Instagram live. And I just felt from you that this was such a meaningful book for you. So can you talk a little bit about your experience with this book? Yeah, absolutely. So what I love about Big Girl is that Kelsey Miller really takes a snapshot into her journey into an intuitive eating and puts it out into the world while she's doing it, right? She writes this book so vulnerably that um it's like I almost feel like should I be here like this this is your journal <laughs> yes and, you know sometimes people write these things retrospectively but she's writing it as an intersection of her life a memoir in a moment of time where she had a pivotal shift but didn't have it fully healed or worked out not that we fully ever have anything fully healed but you know like she still was still very much in the beginning stages of intuitive eating as she wrote wrote this. And so I I really appreciated that vulnerability. And yeah, you're right. As you said, there are a lot of parallels. She's a New Yorker, born in, and raised in, in the state of New York. And um, while we are different, like I'm much shyer than she sort of expresses herself as a in, into the drama and plays and performance and as a sort of a, a career stint into that. Um, yeah, like that's where we're definitely different people, but um, <laughs> two fat, fat women in New York, Jewish, um, educated, sort of, you know, like middle class, like privileged, educated, felt it feels like nothing should be wrong, right? Like from looking, from the outside in and yet you get into the 
sort of the nuances of all of her sort of struggles around body image and marginalizations there, but also how she copes with dysfunction in her family through food, which um, feels like such an important piece to to talk about and hold space for. Yes, so much. I, I, I and I want to I want to talk about your point about her talking about her experience in the moment because mm-hmm. I've had a lot of memoirs in this on this podcast. And you're right, it's a very retroactive look at what has happened for the person. And they're very valuable. But especially when it comes to intuitive eating and this journey that we're on with our body image, we, lots of times when we're reading memoirs, they gloss over that gray area, that not quite sure of ourselves, not quite sure what we're doing, um, not really understanding exactly what we've gotten ourselves into and and she spends a lot of time there and that um to me I took away I I was actually when as I was reading this I was really disappointed I hadn't read this earlier because this was really good (laughs) yeah yeah I know what you mean because she's was on her early within her early stages of intuitive eating and you get to see sort of the rumination or the uncertainty in her head. She's talking out loud about how she makes decisions around food and you get to be on this journey with her in a way that feels like really important for, for somebody who's going on this journey too. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, So what, she struggled to define intuitive eating. So how Mm -hmm. would you define that to somebody else if they were to ask you what it is you're doing there, totally wrapped up in diet culture? Yeah, the way that I like to describe it, and this is, you've probably heard this before a little bit, is that it's really just eating. If like diet culture didn't exist, it's it's just how eating patterns, right? And so it's a set of principles that teaches us how to unlearn diet culture and then sort of reclaim how to eat again. Something we have the wisdom for, but it's sort of shielded by all of the <laughs> nonsense that we've learned that's been harmful around um, food and body and movement. Do you think that there's something that you're still currently working on or trying to get deeper into in terms of your intuitive eating journey? Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, always working on deepening my experience around body image as like Mm -hmm. through the life cycles, like we have different changes and hormone changes and, you know, the fluidity of body image. I'm always here for it to do deeper work. But I would say movement has been a really big one for me in the past couple of years, especially because I started intuitive eating before I went to grad school and then really hunkered down, didn't have very much balance in my life while I was studying and then came out, went into my rotations and then uh, before my rotations finished and I right at the sort of edge of when I started my first clinical job um, working with eating disorders in a private practice, Mm -hmm. I uh, experienced what the world experienced, which was the spring of 2020 (laughs) and the shutdown of the world. And so like any chance to sort of just like reclaim my life around healing my relationship with food and body was done in a very like insulated manner. And thankfully, like we had a roof over our heads, our jobs, and we were able to work with my, my partner and I were able to work remotely with, with our pet, um, who went blind during, uh, COVID. It was, you know, like so much went on, but, um, in terms of like my ability to like really explore my, my body being embodiment of like the movement piece, it just didn't really happen until, I don't know, the past, the past couple of years, I started to explore different types of movement for the first time that weren't to try to manipulate my body. Mm -hmm. So it really was like just shut down to walking and because of life, but um, yeah, I've begun swimming and 
doing Zumba like with a health at every size instructor and exploring movement for fun. And it's just, it's a, a new phase of my life. And I don't know if it would have happened sooner because of COVID or not, but it just feels like the right moment. I was like meant to happen. I was ready. I was craving movement for the sake of like expression and not manipulation. And so I would say that's, that's where I am in my journey. Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, and, and this was something I was going to bring up too, that I didn't. So when I sent you the questions, I hadn't quite read to the end of the book, which isn't so not like me, but there we are. Um, <laughs> and I recognize that there was a very big difference with Kelsey in terms of how she approached her relationship to food and how she approached her relationship to exercise. So mm-hmm. it felt to me like with exercise, she felt like she needed to be pushed to do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to know what you thought about her relationship to exercise and, and how it, it at the end of the book sort of feels like it fits or it doesn't fit into her life. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't know where I sit with it. I was kind of thinking about it when I heard it, like, there's more exploration to be had, like, because this was early on in her journey. And most people, from what I understand, in working as an intuitive eating counselor, become a little more ready for the movement piece later on in their journey. So my takeaway was there's like more healing to be done around it. But yeah, like, I don't, I don't know where she was landing. She felt good with it. So that felt like, like respect to her, you know, also working with a world of like trainers that are still mired in diet culture it doesn't sound like she was working with people who were really body liberated so there's like that sort of nuance to it that she sort of like found like a happy medium of like I'm not doing it to manipulate but like I'm still working with people who are still mired in it and so um I would say like if we were to ask her today I wonder if she has found people that are more liberated to connect to around these activities. Right. Be interesting. Yeah, yeah, I think it is interesting. I, you're, you're, you're definitely right. It would be very interesting to see what happens with her relationship to exercise. And she doesn't really talk about like she talks a lot about her relationship to food prior to finding right. eating, but she doesn't talk a lot about about her relationship to exercise. Like she talks mm-hmm. a little bit about abusing Bikram yoga for a little bit <laughs> like she doesn't yeah. really get into it that much so um, no. yeah I agree I feel like there's a lot more there and I, I mean I know for me I know for me exercise was one of the ways that I um that I that everything manifested for me like when I was trying mm. to like she talked about in the book distract myself when I was trying to really go for it in terms of my dieting exercise was a big component piece. And, and I, I feel like, I think you're right when you say that, you know, it t- tends to come later because I feel like I knew when I started intuitive eating that I had a bunch of garbage around exercise, but I couldn't quite mm-hmm. figure out how to work through it because mm-hmm. it felt like there wasn't as much information about working through exercise stuff as mm-hmm. there is with food stuff. And so it is a little bit more, um, as you say, nuanced, I think that relationship is more nuanced. And I think there's a lot less information on how to look at our relationship with exercise. I think Kelsey has a second book to write. <laughs> right. Well, you know what? Yeah. She, looking it up and she has written a second book. I think it's fairly new around friends, yeah. like the TV show friends. <laughs> yeah. I saw, I, I have to say, I, I've never watched the show friends in its entirety. So, um, I, I'm not, I'm not really a fan, but I respect that she's a fan. I guess I'm guessing she is because I saw she wrote that book. Um, but I think there's like a second book around intuitive eating for her to write. Yeah, I totally agree. I would love it. <laughs> I would love to see her dive into that even deeper again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Maybe, maybe <laughs> we'll inspire her. Uh, one of the things that she says is that and I I just come across this so often, and this is why I'm asking this question to you, but she talks about Weight Watchers being a quote unquote reasonable diet, or Mm -hmm. I've heard people. um, So I've done a couple of bodybuilding shows 
And I met a guy one time and we were talking about how difficult they are to do because he had done one too. And he said, I think there's got to be a way to just kind of like ease it back a little bit, but still do it. And so people in their mind, they work these diets into thinking that they're reasonable. And then they, they kind of go, well, this is, this is what healthy means. And so I'm wondering what you think about that and, and what you say when somebody comes at, at you with, well, it's just Weight Watchers. It's the most reasonable one. It's interesting because Weight Watchers has been around for so long. And so it's sort of something that is weaved into our like consciousness from like for generations, you know, like my grandma did Weight Watchers, like, so it must be okay. Like my mom did Weight Watchers. I did it with, you know, my, like things like that. I'm, I mean, I'm not saying personally, but like that kind of statement is yeah. not uncommon. And, you know, in most recently Weight Watchers, uh, you know, rebranded as WW because it's just not in fashion to promote intentional weight loss. And they know that. So they've, yeah, changed their branding. But I think because it's been uh, such an institution for so long that has created so much community with the meetings that people see it as this like way of life versus a fad diet that's like short term. Like Weight Watchers is a way of life versus, you know, like Atkins, which is this extreme fad diet. Plus we have like periods of time historically that we've seen certain macronutrients become the focus of something to exclude out of your diet, right? Like, you know, now we're in the low carb phase. We were in the eighties, but it was low, everything was low fat snack. Well, so we, you know, we see that, that those like fad diets, whereas Weight Watchers was more of like an overall way of life. Um, even though no one could release, really, no one really sticks to it. It seems like we see lifetime members go in and out. Like, like it's normal to go, yeah, like go away from it for a while, then come back to it. Uh, yeah, we hear it, we hear that, and so it's just it's normalized in our in our culture of maintaining quote unquote body size through um, food intake, which we both know is really problematic, and it certainly is a diet. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, how do you define diet? Yeah, I mean, in our culture, I define diets as anything pursuing weight loss. Um, of course, we could reclaim the word diet as an eating pattern, right? And it, we could we could make it neutral, but um, in the sort of context now, it's it's the manipulation of body size to be smaller through your food intake. Right, which WW squarely fits into. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> sure it's, does. It's it's so funny because when I talk to so, you know, I, I I have quite often have conversations with my mom around these issues. And she's so funny because she nods along and nods along and nods along. And then at the end she'll be like, Well, I think the only one that really works is is Weight Watchers because you can eat everything. And it's just <laughs> I just want to literally take my head and put it into the wall a couple times because I'm like, no, no, like it's, you are, you are trying to lose weight. And by trying to lose weight, you are restricting the types of foods and the number of foods that you have. And that, that means you are uh, setting yourself up biologically for all of the rebound stuff that she talks about in here, this, mm -hmm. this diet cycle that she talks mm -hmm. about in here. Yeah. And she has, she has some cool terminology for it. The new diet buzz and the, oh, what does she call the last supper? The final pig out. The final pig out. Oh, the final pig out. out. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. She did call it that. <laughs> uh, but she, she makes a parallel between this kind of diet cycle of this new diet buzz and then and then the final pig out and then kind of over and over and over again she parallels it to the new romance that she has in her life what did you think about that parallel in the book yeah i wondered in your question when i saw it initially and when you sent it earlier if it was if you were talking about harry or if you were talking about her the guy she was sort of dating before mm -hmm. that 
I, you know what, and the only reason I was thinking about this as a question was because she talks about how things start going really, really well with Harry. And then um, just before her birthday, she has like uh, this moment where she was like, this was like the new diet buzz where everything was going really, really well. And I was just like, you know, overlooking things and everything was really good. And I should have known that there would have been a fall. And then yeah. that takes her to... Um, I'm pretty sure that's when her her birthday dinner is and he she has that kind of uh, what is the right word where she was like kind of freaking out a little bit in the mm-hmm. restaurant because he mm-hmm. had told her he was going to take her to Auschwitz and and right. such an emotional moment for her but she also was like uh making some realizations I guess uh and yeah so she kind of makes this like parallel to this whole idea of uh romance and being in a romance as being somewhat akin to starting a new diet I I think of that as diets being really seductive and we initially sort of see everything through like a rosy tint tinted glasses um until it's until shit goes down that's wrong and I think because this is her first love um and she you know was not relationally sort of expansive in her experiences of life. Um, she was not trusting. So she knew that she knows that diets don't, don't work essentially at this point. Um, so it's new and shiny, but like, when is the other shoe going to drop kind of experience, which we know, you know, he's, he's really supportive and teaches her that you can trust people which is really beautiful but yeah that's how I kind of think of it as diets are really seductive we we get this high feels really good and then you hit a plateau it doesn't work and the other shoe drops she uh, by the end she goes uh where she's talking about distractions and how dieting was just a distraction and and in some ways I think like I know I'm I'm kind of going through my own thing right now where I am starting to realize that I was using dieting as a coping mechanism. And so I'm trying to learn how to live my life, but live my life in a way that's a little more balanced than just throwing myself into something, which is exactly what I did with a diet. And so when she starts making these parallels to romance, I'm not sure that I quite have that experience per se, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but throwing myself into a new work project or throwing myself mm-hmm. into, uh, you know, um, I, I, that's it. I'm moving and I'm just going to give up all this, you know, like you get that, that high of that yes. experience. And I, I totally related to that. I was like, yes, I could see how that is a very much like my dieting experience. Seductive. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and this, the buzz or the adrenaline that where you're not even able to see that probably at some point there's going to be some challenges. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're just not even looking for that. <laughs> yeah, it's she's really relatable. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, now I have a, a deep question. This is this is a deep question, and for me, I don't have. Um, I've been mulling this one over for a while now. I had a book on the show called "The Fat Lady Sings." And it is uh, a book written by a therapist and she is a, for uh, a Jungian therapist. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, that this book really talked to me about was, was meaning behind fatness. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I get from this book is that for Kelsey, her fat or her body size is wrapped up in so many different experiences for her. And I, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on our bodies meaning something. Again, I, this mm-hmm. is a deep question. We're going meta. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it just, 
yeah, I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around this and I don't quite know where I sit on the spectrum of yes or no in terms of this question, but it's something that keeps coming up for me. And because of the nature of this memoir and where she goes with all of this different stuff, like we know about Harry, but do we really like she doesn't get real deep into that where she does get really deep into her relationship with her mom and what's happening with her dad and I think we're supposed to look at that as a reader um, and see some meaning behind those things but but I don't know maybe that wasn't your experience so I'm, I'm curious to know um, your thoughts on my deep question <laughs> yeah I think about her the messaging that is coming to her as an 11 year old going on her own to try out for different plays and performances as a young actor and how agents are are telling and her mom are telling her she needs to you know lose weight to get the sort of main role and after a while sort of like ex I don't know if acceptance is the right word but um, providing insight into teaching Kelsey where she belongs. Like she's, she's, she could be like the friend, you know, just decentered, which is just really like an illustration of the, her marginalization of being in a larger body as a, as a young uh, teen to be, right? Uh, which was so palpable to to feel to hear her her pain, but also, you know, later in life, her dad really communicating to her that she needs to lose weight in order to like find love, which I thought that was so damaging to really to really to say to anyone, but to your own daughter, and she was I think like in her late twenties at that point. And her, of course, her mom supports her pursuit of weight loss by cooking or chopping cucumbers for her and whatever diet she was on. Yeah, I think there's there's all of that that she's internalized that she has less equity as somebody in a larger body in her worth as a just as a human around relate like relational connection for intimacy and romance but also for her pursuit into her future career yeah I don't know if you were going that direction with it but that's what I saw and then of course there was this perspective from her I think her mom around the sort of abuse that happened um that like of course you you know put on weight after that experience, which I really don't agree with. I don't think that's what happened. Um, I think that Kelsey was finding connection or like connection probably isn't the right way to describe it. Comfort with food when she was living with a mentally unstable parent and her father was in France and her mom had a lot of people partying and using a lot of substances and a lot of instability. I think, you know, Kelsey leaned on food for comfort, which I think food is comfort and there's nothing wrong with that. But because she ended up being somebody in a larger body, it was, you know, deemed really negative. Um, so I really reject the idea that people who are abused are like protecting themselves by getting fat I just find that fat phobic so I, I reject that yeah view I don't know if Kelsey feels that way but that's what I took away from it when I read about mom's view of her body of Kelsey's body after the abusive dynamic going on with mom's friend in the house I guess that's part of why this question came up for me in this book was because there is this idea out there that if we let go of our emotional baggage as, as uh, being in larger bodies, if we let go of our emotional baggage, we will automatically 
start to change our relationship with food and then we will be fit. Like there is this whole weird concept out there that makes no sense to me. Um, because in, in my head, it, it's a biological reaction to what we're doing uh, in terms of restricting our food. And, and genetics play a really big part and the social determinants of health play a really big part. And there's so many different sure. reasons, you know? So um, attaching meaning to the size of our bodies felt weird to me, but at the same time, we can't negate the fact that, that Kelsey had these experiences and attaches meaning to those experiences, mm -hmm. which could factor into, uh, it could be just one of the other factors that factor into the size of our body. So I go back and forth on this a lot, <laughs> especially since reading the fat lady sings, it was a really eye-opening book for me where I was, mm -hmm. all this stuff came up and I was, mm -hmm. this memoir just felt to me like it was a really good companion to that book because she just goes into all these things so much. And I'm like, I wonder how much meaning she's attaching to all of these things too, in terms mm -hmm. of the size of her body. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I love that um, we're both seem to be rejecting the same concept, which is perfect. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at this point, I think in her journey of sort of liberating herself from food and body in the way that she is internalized, she's in her early stages of it so I wonder if she had distinguished like what's internalized fat phobia versus systemic fat phobia and yeah it'd be interesting to hear from her today where she stands on the distinction of I can't fit into an airplane seat or I can't you know this chair yes. is uncomfortable versus like how I feel about myself and where that comes from right Right. Culture. She doesn't really like there's one moment where she talks about there's not clothes really available to her. Yeah. And she's like, well, it's not that I don't like clothes. It's just that I don't really have the availability. And because mm -hmm. my clothing style is really feminine mm -hmm. and I'm in this monstrous body, I think she uses the word monstrous. Mm -hmm. uh, I shouldn't be wearing baby doll dresses sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so she kind of touches on the fact that there is a that there is systemic issues, mm -hmm. uh, but she, she does. doesn't, like you said, it, th this is very much about her uh, uh, individual habits and behaviors and how she's tackling uh, what's going on with her. So yeah, I agree with you. It'd be interesting to see if some of those bigger systemic issues have popped up. Now I know she's a small fat too. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes some of those issues don't come up quite as much because- right small fats just don't have the same experiences moving around in the world as someone in a larger fat body. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that could be a really big part of it, that her privilege is a little bit more um, there. And, but I, I don't think it was yet parsed out those like beginning stages of like, this doesn't fit and like how I feel about my body and the sort of distinction between the two. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. One of the things that I thought was interesting and that I had never really, and, and maybe you have, because you're more into this intuitive eating world than I am. But one of the conclusions she seems to come through is that, is that, uh, you know, it really wasn't dieting that was, that she was really quote unquote addicted to. It was distraction of not mm -hmm. sitting with her own life, of, of not being able to be mindful about the world around her. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think of that experience? Like, is do you think that that makes uh, sense? And how does somebody like is that the kind of thing that you have maybe seen with some of your clients? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I work with eating disorder recovery, and so it's a really big part. And I would say, with all eating, healing your relationship with food. There mm -hmm. is this parallel because food is being taught to be sort of served through an external set of rules versus your internal needs. And so you're, if you're not listening to your body's needs, how can you know how you're feeling or what you want, right? On a biological level, but then take it to the emotional level and, you know, cognitive level, like of what's happening if we're so focused on the outside world, how could we really 
yeah, reckon with what's happening internally. So I think there often is a disconnect and numbing happening, whether it's through restriction or binging or a set of rules in some shape or form around movement or food. Um, it's not letting yourself really connect to your feelings. And so when you are operating that way, it's sort of reflexive and then you're not experiencing that internally around other things too, right? It's just, we, we live in a culture that teaches us to like follow a set of rules of what, how to be, but we're, we're all individual and there's all this diversity. So yeah, it's like asking, I like to ask people, like, how do you know when you need to urinate? Like, what, how do you know when you feel that in your bladder and like on a scale of one to 10, how badly do you need to go? Um, most of us could, could sort of know, like if it's a, a 10, like feeling really intense, like we all know, like, no, there's no words for it. If you have to like literally run to the bathroom to relieve yourself. Right. And, you know, if we go down to like a two or a three, that might be pretty hard for a lot of people to connect to, um, that mm -hmm. interceptive awareness. And it's similar with hunger and fullness, um, happening in the brain in that, in those connections. And so I think there is a lot of disconnection that happens when we're externally focused. Right. As I was reading her book. So my intuitive eating journey is I've never worked with anyone. Mm. I have read the book a multitude of times. I have uh, given myself permission to eat. Uh, and that has been very helpful because now I sort of feel like hunger fullness. I kind of got those. Uh, yeah. Satisfaction is what I am working on. But one of the things I realized as I was reading this book was that I don't often take the time to have a meal undistracted. Mm -hmm. And she talks about the relevance and the importance of doing that and what a, what a, what a shift that made for her. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think about that? Like just having that undistracted time to eat and how can that infiltrate other aspects of our life? It's an exercise with the brain and the body. And I think it can feel like daunting to do it a lot if it's not in your regular habit and <laughs> I always sort of recommend people to choose like one meal you know or a couple meals in a week to start and then like build up and you know it's it's not something that needs to happen all the time um to to experience growth right like you still get to have the the distraction around food too like they both can exist in your life as you're um, on your intuitive eating journey. That's pretty cool. I think it's yeah. pretty cool. So cool. Yeah. It was, uh, like I said, this book, I really wish I had read it before. Um, yeah. the fact that I read it now though, makes a big difference to me like that. I actually do feel like, okay, maybe I should start paying some more attention when I eat. And I like that. That's great. Um, is there anything else you want to say about the book? Was there anything else that I didn't touch on that maybe you wanted to talk about a little bit? I do want to just sort of name that she she was, you know, leaning into um, eating for comfort that she sort of identifies as binge eating. However, she's going long periods of time without eating, which is clearly significant restriction. So you know, anybody in that situation would be really hungry. And we need to like normalize that she was not eating enough. And like, what would an actual sort of delve into eating for comfort or like in a binge style look like if you were eating regularly, adequately, consistently, what would that look like? Um, maybe it would still happen some of the time, like eating food for comfort to like distract from something emotionally challenging but would it look like that? I don't know that it would. I think she, she really was undernourished a lot. Mm -hmm. And what did you think about, okay, this brought something else up for me. <laughs> <laughs> so her friend uh, gets cancer. Yes. And goes through um, the surgery. And during that time, she, so 
as you're reading, you kind of get to this point where you feel like the book probably should end because everything is hunky-dory and it's all wonderful. And our intuitive even counselor has said, let's meet in six weeks because, you know, you've got this. And, you know, like it, it sort of felt like there was an ending. And then her friend gets cancer and it throws everything off for her. Mm-hmm. And I felt like there was still, like, I felt like in the book, she judged herself for doing that. I don't know if that's the feeling you got from that, but what did, what did you think about that whole experience with her? I think that she was in early stages of healing her relationship to food and body and something emotionally challenging came up that threw her off her sort of focus and she judged it. And, you know, like it feels, it feels really human and so normal, like that, that happened. And I wonder if it happened today how she would talk about it to herself. She I love that you have just a lot said more that. compassion. Yeah. I love that, that human and compassion. That is, that's, that's probably the word that I was trying to think of as I was reading that I felt like she didn't have any of that for herself. Mm-mm. No, really self-deprecating. And like, you know, she's really funny. So it's easy to laugh along with her. However, yeah, she's in her early stages of healing. And so there's a lot of negative self-talk. I'm glad you brought that part up because yeah, yeah, that was another part that uh, I wanted to talk about that I kind of forgot I wanted to talk about. So that is great. Okay. Um, so if you had a, a friend or a client or somebody came to you and said, I read this book. I really liked it. Like I thought that that was really, really great. What would you recommend that they maybe read next? I, I think reading things that no one would tell a fact fat girls from Jess Baker would be a great delve in um another fat woman who is a little bit fatter and a little bit more further along in their journey around healing their relationship and they're also talking in a narrative of like really like encouraging you as the reader to love yourself and own yourself like up to who you are unapologetically so it's kind of a refreshing shift to go from like, hey, like it might be a little bit rocky and here, like I'm going to help sort of guide you through the next sort of phase in your healing. Um, I, I think that would be a great one. Oh, I love it. I love it. Great pick. Thank you. Uh, okay. So now where can listeners find you? What have you got going on right now? Yeah, absolutely. So. You can find me on my website at chelsealeavynutrition.com. I'm also on Instagram at chelsealeavynutrition. And um, I have a private practice in New York City and I see people worldwide virtually. So you can connect with me there. I also am doing some meal support lives on Instagram. Jen so generously joined me recently where we um, chat and we nosh and it's casual. So if you are looking for some meal support, I do it a couple times a month and I would love for you to, um, yeah, follow me and stay in touch. So fantastic. Yeah. That, that conversation we had was really, really wonderful. So yeah, real relaxed vibe, uh, just hanging out. So yeah, people should definitely check that out. Everything that you just said will be in the show notes. Uh, If you're looking, just scroll down and click. No worries there. So I just want to thank you so much, Chelsea, for being on Fat Girl Book Club. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. I hope you enjoyed that discussion. I, I know I did. I know this memoir is, this memoir lingered for me. It was a book that I was thinking about long after I read it. Maybe one of the reasons why it lingered was this discussion around mindful eating, uh, because like I was mentioning at the beginning, I am really kind of still trying to find satisfaction in food. And because for me, uh, part of what I was doing involved restricting very much for long periods of time, but allow like looking forward to this quote unquote cheat day that I was going to have. And so there was a lot of satisfaction in eating everything under the sun during that moment where I was quote unquote allowed. (laughs) And I got a lot of, like, I can, I can feel in my body how excited I was to, to, to look forward to this event and, and 
prepare for this event and have these meals where I was like literally salivating as I was thinking about them. And it created when I was eating, yes, I was, I was eating probably way too fast, but (laughs) okay. There's no morality around how fast you eat, but I know that I was restricting pretty hardcore. So eating something that didn't taste like, I don't know, paper and cardboard and just kind of bland, uh, would have forced me, my body would have just craved it, ate it up. Um, so I know that I was probably eating faster than I needed to. Uh, anyway, that type of satisfaction that I would get from food after a a meal, well, well planned and well thought out and well eaten, (laughs) you know, and that, that sense in your body of yes, being completely stuffed because I was, but also the sense of just feeling like you've accomplished something almost. Uh, that is a feeling I would like to have again. And I sometimes wonder if part of the reason why I'm not getting that feeling from food is because I'm not that much of a mindful eater. I am a very, um, I know when I'm hungry. I know when I'm full. Uh, I have no, um, I, I don't, for the most part, I mean, obviously moments of weakness, right? But I don't have these thoughts in my head around, uh, this is a good food. That's a bad food. Don't eat this. Do eat that. It's not quite so much like that for me anymore. Uh, but I do wish to find a sense of satisfaction. And I believe maybe one of the keys that could be missing for me is a sense of mindful eating. But part of the reason why I'm so resistant to that is this feeling that the minute I start to create rules around having to eat with without the TV on, having to eat without a podcast going, having to eat without any kind of distraction, this feels like a diet rule for me. And so I feel like I, I maybe am trying to overcompensate by not allowing myself to get into mindful eating in any way, shape or form whatsoever. Uh, so yeah, there's my conundrum. Anyway, uh, this is neither here nor there. I really, really hope that you enjoyed this episode. I know I very much enjoyed this episode. I know I very much enjoyed this book. Uh, I hope that you're having a fantastic day wherever you are. I am so grateful for you. Thank you for being here. Keep reading everyone.